the Son. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at enduring faith, faith that endures. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, and then keep your finger there and go to Hebrews, chapter 11. So it's, it's the same the same story, we're going to read the story in Genesis and we're going to see the commentary on the story in the book of Hebrews. So Genesis chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and then hold your finger there and then flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And, the Cana- and now the Canaanite was there in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking to the city, which has its foundation, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Let's pray. God, as we read these passages, may we see that enduring faith is a faith that remembers your faithfulness. That enduring faith is not a faith of shortcomings, enduring faith is not a faith of of happenstance, it is not a faith of immaturity, but enduring faith is a faith through difficult times. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Most of us have met People, maybe you are people who have had faith at one point in time uh, that I like to call foxhole faith. And it's faith in the middle of the foxhole. 
as you are, as you are in the foxhole, as bullets are flying over your head, you make the statement or, 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 or you pray the prayer, God, if you will just get me through this, then I will do whatever it is. I will do X, Y, or Z. And, and if we're all honest with ourselves, at one point in time, we have had foxhole faith. We have had, we have had God, if you will just, and, and you know, coming through 15 years of seminary, there were many nights. There were many nights where I said, God, if you will just get me through this next assignment, you know, I will, I will promise I'll study next time. God, if you will just get me through this next paper, I promise I will, I will not wait till the last minute to start on this paper. There are many times in our lives whenever difficulty hits, whenever trials hit, uh, whenever, whenever hardships, whenever we incur hardships, that we have what's called foxhole faith. And, and we have that faith for a moment. And then once the hardships, once the trial have, have subsided, once, once we're out of that foxhole, once the bullets are no longer flying, then we say, all right, God, I appreciate everything you've done, but I got it from here. Well, that is not a faith that endures. Now, I want us to, to, to point out that as we're talking, as we're teaching through, working through this series of faith, that faith in and of itself is a gift from God. And we understand that, that saving faith, faith that imputes unto us righteousness, is the very beginning, the very beginning of that process which, which grows us into the mature believer that God has called us to. And we understand that, that as we have saving faith, that God then by His Holy Spirit sanctifies us, He grows us, He makes us more like His Son. And what is it then that that causes us to have enduring faith. Well, we're going to look at that here in just a few moments. First of all, I want us to understand that the primary characteristic of an enduring faith is a theocentric worldview. A theocentric worldview. We live in a world that has an egocentric worldview. Ego is a Latin word that simply means I. We have a world, we live in a world that, that the primary mode of operation is that we look out for number one. You've, you've, you've all heard that. You have to look out for number one because nobody else is, right? You have to look out for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. In fact, we teach this to our kids. He said, well, no, I don't. We teach this to our kids. We, we teach our children from a very early age, and we do this subconsciously. We do this without realizing we do this. But as soon as our children are born, what do we do? We go and get everything that, 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 that they're possibly going to wear or carry, and we get it monogrammed with what? Their name. If, if, if we had everything whenever Anna was a child, everything that she owned had either Anna or A on it somewhere. Somewhere, you know, it had an A on her bow. She had the, the diaper bag we had, had her name monogrammed on it. The strollers have her name. You know, the seat covers have their name monogrammed. You know, we, we do this to our children. And, and, and grandmas and grandpas, y'all are just as guilty because everything you give is monogrammed with your kids, with, with your grandkids' name on it. We teach them that, that from the very moment they're brought into the world, that they are the most important person and the most important thing in the entire world. We grow up with an egocentric mindset. And this generation, my generation, has done something to our children that, that fosters this egocentric worldview. We schedule our entire lives 
around our kids. We will, we will restructure our entire schedule so that we can make sure that we get Daniel to baseball, we get Anna to dance, we get Nicholas to, to tennis or whatever Nicholas is doing because poor kid's the third kid, he gets drug around to everything. But, 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 but we will, we will reschedule our entire lives and, and we will even solicit grandma and grandpa to help pick up kids and drive kids to get them where they're going because, because they are the most important person in the entire world. Whenever you go on vacation, you stop at the, uh, it, it used to be the, the, the Stuckies. Now it's the, uh, what are they called? What's the little beaver thing? Bucky's. Now, now, now it's Bucky's. And, and you walk in and they've, they've, they've got these, these, these giant displays with keychains. And on the keychains is written names. And every one of us, as soon as we get to that display, what do we do? We look for your name. I never found my name. There was never a precedent. But that's exactly what we do. As soon as we get there, we look for our name. Because we are egocentric. We are, we are concerned about us. The greatest enemy of enduring faith is pride. The greatest enemy of a faith that endures is our own arrogance. Abraham understood in Genesis chapter 12 that God was doing something bigger than Abraham. I want us to look at the text. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Now, notice he appeals to Abram's egocentricity. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will give you all this stuff. I will make you a blessing. I will make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. So so he appeals to Abram's egocentricity. He appeals to to Abraham's pride. But then, in verse 3, he says, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed because I will bless you. There is something bigger than Abraham. As you, as you read through the text, as you read through the text, and you get down to, to verse As you get down to verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And if you read carefully and you know the story, Abraham dies. And all that Abraham has as a, as a down payment, if you will, on the promises of God is a burial plot in Shechem. He dies not knowing and not realizing the fulfillment of God's promise with the descendants of Jacob. He dies having received no land, having had one kid who only had two kids who were fighting. Abram dies never realizing the promise of God's covenant, yet the scripture says that by faith, Abraham was reckoned righteous. Because Abraham understood and Abraham believed, I believe, that Abraham realized that what God was doing through Abraham and through his descendants was bigger than Abraham. And the first 
obstacle, the first challenge we must overcome to have an enduring faith is to understand that God is doing something bigger than me. That, 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 that there is a single point in the universe that everything revolves around and that single point is not me. We must understand, we must have a theocentric worldview that, that God is the center and His glory is His greatest, is, is, is God's greatest ambition. And that, that yes, God desires to bless me and yes, God desires to, to, to give me grace and God wants me to be successful. But, but in the grand scheme of things, God is more concerned about God and His glory than He is about me. And in the grand scheme of things, I'm really not that big of a deal. Most of the time, when you enter into a room, people aren't looking at you. They're not talking about you. They're not thinking about you. Because the whole world doesn't revolve around you. The whole world does not revolve around me. We must... We must avoid the temptation that this world gives us to have an egocentric worldview and have a theocentric worldview that God is the center of the universe. And once we, once we start there, once we start there, then we realize that in God's great grace and in God's great purpose, He chooses to use you and me. See, God didn't have to use Abraham to make a great nation. Yet he did. God didn't have to choose a man named Jacob who was a liar and a deceiver. By his very nature, his name means deceiver. God didn't have to choose Jacob to be the father of Israel. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And from the tribes or from the sons of Jacob are all twelve of the tribes of Israel. And through that we have the line of Judah. And through the line of Judah we have David. And through David we have Jesus. And through Jesus God redeems the whole world. He didn't have to use a liar to do that. But he did. See, the theocentric worldview says that God has a purpose and a plan that is bigger than us, and yet He chooses to use us. That doesn't create pride, that creates humility. That, okay, God is bigger, what God is doing in my life is bigger than me, and yet in His great grace and in His great mercy, He chooses to use me. Go with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And he says this. He says, The word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God through the world, through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. Did you hear that? That God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who will believe. See, God desires to use us, but He doesn't use the great, the grand. He uses the riffraff. He uses the humble. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Why? Because the humble realize that they're not 
They're nothing special. The first step to an enduring faith is a theocentric worldview. Abraham realized that there was something bigger, that God was up to something bigger than himself. I also believe that knowing God's character and knowing God's purpose helps us to have a faith that endures. We must first understand who God is in order to trust God. Our children grow up, if we, if we do our job as parents, our children grow up trusting us. Why is it that whenever your children become 12 to 18 months old, that they, they, they get what's called stranger danger? Because all of a sudden, they realize that, wait a second, there's this mom and this dad who have been taking care of me my entire life. They've been feeding me. They've been rocking me to sleep. They've been playing with me. They have been interacting with me. I feel safe. I feel secure. All of a sudden, we're going into, and you're giving me, you know, you walk to the church nursery. I don't know that person in there. And, and, and you just hand me over. All of a sudden, they, they, they cling to you. It's like pulling. It's like peeling them off of you and handing them to this, to this strange person. And these, these kids have taught that, you know what? Because of who you are, because of your character, because you have demonstrated to me compassion and love and grace and mercy and tenderness and you have, you have taken care of me, I know that I can trust you. I don't know if I can trust that person. They're not my mom. They're not my dad. Children learn this innately. We must understand that in order for us to have enduring faith, faith that endures through trials, faith that endures through hardships, we must understand the character of our God, that He is a trustworthy God. Look at what it says in Psalm 119, verse 68. Psalm 119 verse 68 says that our God is good and that He does good. Psalm 119 verse 68. Thou art good and thou doest good. Teach me thy statutes. You are good and you do good. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 34. As Moses As Moses asks God to put him in the cleft of the rock and, and, and to pass before him, we see this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and verse 7. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. This is how the Lord described himself. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Look at what it says about God's character. It says, one, that he is, he is loving, he is kind, he is gracious, he is compassionate, and... He is just and righteous. We can trust this God. It is not just that He is, it is not only that He is loving and kind and compassionate, but He is also just and righteous. So that whenever, whenever we endure hardships and afflictions that are not because of our own sin and because of the consequences of our own mistakes that we can trust that God is just 
and righteous and will excite, will visit wrath and judgment upon those who have betrayed us and those who have done us wrong. I can trust this. I can trust that, that, that He is good and He does good. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. When we understand the character of our God, we can trust Him. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. When we know the character of our God, we can trust Him. Not only does it help us to know the character of our God, it helps us to know the purposes of our God. Let's go back to the original text in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 3, God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and those who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the whole earth will be blessed. The word in Hebrew in chapter, in chapter 12, verse 3, literally means all of the peoples. All of the nations, all of the ethnic groups, all of the peoples, all of the families of the earth will be blessed by you. Why? Because through you will come Isaac and Jacob and Jesse and David and Jesus. When we understand God's character and when we understand God's purpose, we can endure a great amount of pain and hardships, and trial, looking forward to God's fulfilling His purpose. We can endure a great amount of difficulty when we understand that this trial, this hardship, this difficulty, is but for a season. It's when we don't understand the character of God. It's when we don't understand God's purposes that we begin to say, what are you doing? What's going on? When our marriages are falling apart, when, when we get four feet of water in our home, and, and everybody around us is flooded. And then, and then you know, we, we come out of the flood and the rest of our life just, just seems to fall apart. And, and, and whenever you know, there's, there's hardship and loss and, and you know, somebody who's you know, 37 years old, 38 years old dies unexpectedly. Whenever, whenever somebody who's 50 years old who was a, a picture of health gets cancer and is, and is dead in a year, whenever these, these things that, that don't make any sense to us, and we endure hardships, and we endure trial, and we endure difficulty, and we endure loss, and we're, we're, we're looking around and we're saying, God, what are you doing? How can, I, how can I have faith in the midst of this? Whenever the wheels fall off the bus, how can I have faith in the midst of this? How can I trust you whenever it appears that everything is going awry? Let's come back to the principles that we just looked at. 
An egocentric worldview says the whole world revolves around me whenever we understand that, you know what, God is doing something bigger. And I may not understand what God is doing. I may not be able to wrap my brain around what God is doing. I want to walk with you through Abraham's journey for just a brief moment. Abraham leaves everything that he knows because God says, hey, I'm going to do something bigger than you. Take your wife, your nephew, whatever little bit of stuff you got and leave. Oh, where am I going? Oh, don't worry about that. I'll tell you later. I can't even get my wife to get in the car with me and and go on a, a vacation unless she knows what hotel we're staying at, when, when, when we're staying, when we're coming back, you know, where we're eating for the restaurant, what our itinerary is. You We've got to have everything laid out. i got a big picture of me saying, come on now to get in the car. Where are we going? I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but that's what, that, that's what God did to Abraham. He said, come on, Abraham. I'm going to do something awesome. I'm going to do something so much bigger than you. Oh yeah, well, where are we going? I, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out when we get there. And so God calls Abram. Abram leaves everything that he knows. He takes his wife, his property, his servants, his, his nephew, everything that he owns, and they start trekking across the desert. And they get to this land, and God says, oh, that's where you're going to live. And Abraham says, yeah, but there are people there. He says, yeah, don't worry about that. So Abraham spends his entire life as an alien, as a place with no home, as a nomad. He says, by the way, God, you said you're going to give me descendants. I don't have any. You said, my descendants are going to be as plentiful as the stars are in the heavens, sand is on the seashore. None of that's taking place. My wife's like, you know, 90 and hadn't had any kids. I'm 100. You know, th- th- this isn't working out real well. And God says, God says, I'm going to be faithful. And, and, and Abraham says, well, look, look, I know you promised to be faithful, but, you know, I'm not getting any younger, so we're going to take matters into our own hands. And they, Abraham and Hagar, and they have Ishmael, and God says, yeah, that's not my plan. There was tension between Hagar and Sarah, as you can imagine. The descendants of Ishmael become the descendants that the Scripture says in Genesis will be a people of war all the days of their life. So the nation of Islam comes from. And then God's silent for 13 years. God doesn't speak to Abraham. Abraham says, whatever God was going to do, He's not doing anymore. We have so completely messed this up, so completely screwed this up. And then all of a sudden, Sarah says, oh, by the way, Abraham, I'm pregnant. Abraham just begins laughing. Just begins laughing. Now, Isaac's name literally means laughter. And then through, through Isaac... He has Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the younger, deceiver, liar, steals his brother's birth, steals his brother's birthright. 
God wrestles with Jacob, changes his name from Jacob to Israel. God gives Jacob 12 sons. Through those 12 sons, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. Through the 12 tribes of Israel, they inherit the land and fulfill all of the promises and through the promises of God's faithfulness and God's covenant. Now let me ask you this. If we look at Abraham's life, was it free from affliction? No. Abraham saw unfulfilled in his mind, unfulfilled and unrealized promises day in and day out. He says, God, you promised to do this, yet when I die, I see none of this realized. How many of you as Christians, as moms and dads, as husbands and wives, feel like that? That God, you promised that you would be with me. God, you promised that, that you would pour out your grace. You promised that, that you would guide me and direct me. Yet I don't feel like I've been guided. I don't feel like I've been directed. I don't feel that your presence has been with me. In fact, a lot of times I feel alone. I feel empty. I feel like a failure. I believe that more times than not, that's how Abraham felt. But he went back to this enduring faith. And what are the principles of an enduring faith? First of all, it is a theocentric worldview. It is not an egocentric worldview that God's doing something bigger and sometimes I just don't get it. And that's okay. And he trusted the character of God. Who is God? He is good and He does what is good. He trusted the purpose of God. That God has a purpose that is greater than my understanding. And in your life, church, there is a reality that God is doing something bigger than you. God is doing something bigger than you. God is doing something that maybe you are unable to comprehend. We are finite in our understanding. God is infinite. There is a, there is a trust issue that should be based upon God's character. And God's purpose. I want to point out to you James chapter 1 verse 2 as we begin to close. James, the brother of Jesus, interestingly enough, who was not a follower of Jesus until after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, in the New Testament and the Gospels, James thought Jesus was off his rocker. After his death, burial, and resurrection, he says, you know what, maybe my brother really was the Messiah. Writing to the church, experiencing persecution throughout Asia Minor, James writes this. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, whenever you encounter various trials and tribulation. Why? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and that endurance produces... an endurance... I'm going to misquote it, so I'm going to go back and read it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulation, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Verse 4, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. There's something bigger at stake. And so, as we conclude, I want you to ask these questions. What is the purpose for the hardships and the difficulty in my life? We understand that, that we must have a theocentric worldview. That I'm not the center of the universe, that God is at the center of the universe. And we understand that God's character is good and that He does good. Psalm 119 verse 71 says that it was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. David says this, 
We just got done walking through 1 Samuel as Saul tried to kill him over and over and over and over again. As David suffers defeat at the hand of the Philistines, as, 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 as we finish the book of 1 Samuel, the entire nation of Israel is completely decimated. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. So we understand that God is good and that He does good. And so we must ask the question, what is the purpose of my afflictions? What is God's purpose? And there is only, there is only a few options. One, the purpose of our afflictions may be for discipline, as we looked at last week. That God, by His great grace, chooses to grow us in our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so maybe the afflictions and the difficulty that you're going through in your life is so that God can discipline you, so that He can grow you into the child of God that He desires you to be. Or maybe, option number two, maybe God is causing affliction, hardship, and difficulty in your life to grow you. And to stretch you, not because of sin as a discipline, but as James chapter 1 verse 2 says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulation, that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. Or possibly, chap, the answer is number three, to accomplish something for the kingdom that is beyond our understanding. In Acts chapter 7, Verses 58 through 60. Stephen is stoned. At the point in Stephen's life, I believe Stephen doesn't understand why he's giving his life. But if we read the text, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen. And he called to the Lord. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them. And having said this, he died. I believe that God was doing something through that episode, through that instance, that was bigger than Stephen. Because that young man whom they laid their cloaks at the feet Saul, who would later be traveling down a road to Damascus when the Lord Jesus would appear to him and say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I believe, and this is my humble opinion, I believe that that episode where Stephen was stoned as Saul oversaw the events there. And Stephen acted and personified Jesus. I don't believe that Saul ever forgot that. Sometimes God is doing something through your afflictions, through your hardships, through your trial, that is bigger than you can comprehend. And it's in those moments that we must trust His character, and we must trust His purposes even when we don't understand. That's how we can have a faith 
that endures. Let's pray. God, in your great grace, you have saved us from our sin. In your great grace, you have imputed to us the righteousness of Jesus. In your great grace, you have sanctified us through your Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you this morning that you've given us afflictions, hardships, trials, through which you can demonstrate your faithfulness to us. That as we endure, we can look forward to our eternity with you. God, may you change our worldview. May we not be so consumed with self that we are unable to see your purposes in our lives. God, may you teach us your character, that you are good and that you do good. God, may you reveal to us your purpose, that in your great grace you desire to use that which is broken, that which is foolish, to confound the wisdom of this world. Maybe you're out there this morning and you are up to your eyeballs in hurt, affliction, pain. And you simply need to come to this altar and be wrapped in the loving arms of Christ. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. said, take upon me my yoke, for my burden is light. We cast our cares upon him, he promises to care for us. We're called to trust Jesus in our afflictions. We're not called to enjoy our afflictions. Don't misunderstand me, church. I don't believe that Stephen enjoyed being stoned. I believe he understood there was something bigger. Maybe you're going through something right now and you simply need to be reminded that God's doing something bigger through you. Maybe God is disciplining you this morning and you simply need to come to this altar and repent. Maybe grab someone with you. May this morning as you do business with the Holy Spirit, May you find yourself obedient. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.